Welcome to the Soulful CXO, where we discuss leadership principles, core values, health, wellness, and resiliency. I'm Dr. Rebecca Wynn, the founder and the host of the show. Do you have a topic or guest you would like to be featured on the show? Would you like to be a sponsor? Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Rebecca at SoulfulCXO.com. Please go to our partner, Cybersecurity Tribe, for weekly show recaps and other resources. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn, and we are so pleased to have with us today, Michelle Stewart. Michelle is president and owner of JAG Investigations. She has over 30 years investigating and training experience. She consults and trains federal, state, local enforcement agencies, military intelligence agencies, OSRC, financial insurance industries, Fortune 500 companies, and works with numerous professional sports organizations. She specializes in open source social media and cellular security. She's instructor at Quantico, yes, the FBI Academy, in international training programs, as well as adjunct faculty with the University of Virginia and consults with several other universities out there. In 2017, she partnered with Pennsylvania Office of Homeland Security, creating a program, Keep Kids Safe, training administrators, principals, teachers, or parents, the dangers of online and social media activity, as well as dangers of application and cellular security. She was the author for eight years of international FYI concerning the internet and open source intelligence and profiling for PI Magazine, which is the primo magazine in intelligence and private investigation industry. She's highly sought after keynote speaker. She's won numerous, numerous awards, including the top 25 most influential speaker of the year, and she's trained me personally, and we've known each other for about 11 years. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I always laugh at bios because, like, nobody really cares. So, you know, you you have this huge background, and it just kind of all, like, blends together after a while. But, yeah, thank you for having me here, and thank you for asking me to be here. No, it's great to have you. Michelle, because we talk so much about your what you do with the intelligence agencies, because you've been doing that quite a long time, can you go back and explain to people that, that wasn't your first thing. You started out with financial services and, and yeah. people down the bank route. Can you tell everybody a little bit about your background that way? Oh, you bet. So I'll age myself right in front of everybody real quick. I've been in investigations for 30 years now. And the first 10 years of my career was economic fraud, financial fraud investigations. And that was primarily back in the days for still the FDIC. But if you guys remember, there was another agency called the RTC, which was the Resolution Trust Corporation. And back in those days, we had a lot of savings that were going in, savings and loans that were going into receivership. Um, back in those days, too, we had a lot of handshake loans. So we were part of a group that would go and find the money. And if you guys look at today's technology compared to what it was 30 years ago, it is absolutely different the way that we conducted our investigations. So back 30 years ago, a lot of the stuff that we did honestly was via pretext and trying to get people to give us information that now can take us seconds, right? Because we have the social media platforms and no matter how much people are being investigated, they're so narcissistic on so many different levels that they just cannot stop putting information out there. So something that could have taken me, you know, days to weeks sometimes to develop now could take seconds. So I did that for about 10 years. And then, you know, I, I kind of got tired of, of just doing financial investigations, to be honest with you. And that was really moving into when the Internet became a tool for us. And 
Yes, the internet's around a lot longer than the early 1990s, but that's when it started coming useful to us. When we can start looking at some of the, the systems that were being used, some of the sources that were being placed out on the internet and, you know, very much so limited, believe me, but we started seeing that. So that's what I did is I started watching data. I started watching how it was being created. I started watching how it was being scraped. I would contact these different companies that were putting information out. And I would say, where are you getting your data from? And back then, believe it or not, they would actually talk to you and tell you where some of this information was being derived. Now, not so much so, right? So for the last 20 years, I've really specialized in open source intelligence. So utilizing informational sources off the internet to help now in the identification of the individual, the movement, the associations, their social media platforms, all of it now. And that's really what OSINT is. No, it's great. So you and I have talked several times and I tell people, I Google myself all the time. I'm a Google dork myself. Yeah. And, then, and then I have, I've had to have an outside firm I have to hire just to keep getting me off of all these free, you know, yeah. feet out there that I'm like, oh my God, that is crap. I don't want that garbage out there. So what do you recommend for people, for, for businesses, do you try and, and stay at top of this even a little bit? Because that's the thing is, it's about information gets out about your business. And I tell people, especially when we look for new jobs, Googling those companies and you should be looking at their social media and you should be looking at seeing what their executives put out there and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. How do you recommend people try to have some sort of social media safeguards in a business today? Because it's really out there really bad. You know, one of the big things I always say is when you're developing, especially personal, let's do personal real quick, is, you know, utilize an email address that isn't always associated to you personally. If I have a personal email address, this is going to be something specific between maybe the bank, maybe my, you know, interaction with me and my family. But that email address that I'm going to utilize on social media is going to be different than I'm going to use in a personal world. So my business is never going to overlap into my personal in the sense of that phone number, in the sense of that email address. Now, here becomes problems, though. Because what people will do is, let's say they're using a VoIP, right? A voice over the internet protocol, a phone number associated to an app, or they want to use Google Voice. So they think they're protecting their phone numbers. And then they utilize that phone number, let's say in the order of food. And all of a sudden I'm driving home. I want to order some food and I order it. I'm going to pick it up on the way. But what I did is I used that phone number that I use for work purposes mostly, whether it be a VoIP or like I said, Google Voice also is a VoIP. But now I've integrated that business number and I associated to my personal name. And now I associated it to my personal address because either I'm going to pick up the food or I'm going to have the food delivered. So you have to keep your personal and your business completely and utterly separate. You know, have phone numbers that are specific to your business, have phone numbers that are specific to your, your personal. Now, there are applications that obviously will give you, like MySudo, that will give you additional phone numbers, like one, two, three numbers, up to nine numbers. And so you can have many numbers associated to many platforms, I guess, of your life, if that's how you want to you know, say it. But I would highly suggest they do that. Secondly, when you're out and you're doing your shopping, whether it be your food shopping, whether it be clothes, whether it be shoes, whatever you're doing, you guys, when people fill out those applications, for the guys that, you know, they're going to be getting a discount, you have to understand that's marketable data. And so once you go out there and you put your name on that application, you put your address on that application, you put your phone number on that application, you put your email on that application because you want to get discounts, right? You want to get coupons. 
that information ends up being sold. So we have to be very careful, not only in our personal life, but also in our business life, because people do it business-wise too, right? So just remember, what you do on a daily basis is really what this information is coming from, because this is scraped data, marketable data, information that is sold over and over. So those are some of the concerns that I would say, just be very careful in trying to separate your personal and your business. Be very careful and make sure that you have your own email and phone numbers and everything associated to personal world, to your business world. And also think about what you're putting down on all those applications you're filling out because you want those discounts. Do you honestly think that the grocery store can't give you the discount unless you have the miraculous card? Of course they can. They're giving you, making you do that card because they have your data. Okay. Think about this too, you guys. I always bring this up. Let's say you guys go to CVS or Walgreens. And if you don't have your card with you, what's the next thing they ask you? Your phone number, right? So this is a huge data collection on us. It really is. Be, just be very careful on what you're, you're giving out. Yeah. I use a phone number that's not even in existence anymore. And I, yeah, me too. I use a person who's not even live anymore, to be honest yeah. with you, when I go there. You know, one of the things, just because you brought up about tipping and stuff like that, can you talk to people about tip jar? Because I know you wrote about that extensively a couple months ago and how that was tracking your location through PayPal. Oh, you know what? Things have changed on that, Rebecca. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably defer on that just right now because I haven't done some research on that. But, you know, tip jar, are you talking about the tip jar through Twitter? Yeah. So we'll recircle back to that one later. Because that has changed since the first time I've written about it. So I want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about before I talk. Yeah. Okay. The key point there, guys, is that there's applications out there you always have to be careful about that they could be looking at your location. Can you explain to people how when we look at any application that we have, a lot of people don't look at permissions or they look at permissions when they first download it, installed on the phone. Yeah. They look at the updates. And I just had that the other day for a VR that I use for meditating. And it's like, well, the, the developer's updating this, but they're not telling you what they're changing. And I'm like, well, you ain't changed nothing on my phone. But how important yeah. did you really look to see what's being changed before you give those permissions? Because I think that's a big food pot that people just assume it was okay once, it's okay in the future. Oh, God. You know, and that's one of the things I know that you sat there in my training before that I used to really preach on, and I still do, is applicational permissible purposes. And nobody is reading those. And especially our kids, you know, we talk about how COPA laws out there, right? It's 13 and under that we're supposed to be protecting our children. And nobody's really protecting our children on this. They really aren't. And Apple's kind of stepped up the game a little bit in the sense that, you know, they're really pretty much, hey, this is trying to get your location. This is trying to ask for your address, but whatever. But still, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's nothing that's a perfect applicational platform, or I should say cellular platform, that's going to protect us from that. So here's, if you guys remember, Maybe some of you won't, but several years ago, one of the biggest apps that was downloaded was on the Android platform, and it was the Flashlight app. And that particular Flashlight app, the permissible purpose was so aggressive, it was unbelievable But that people were even putting it on their phone. It was giving permission to look at their photos, their videos, their files, their communications, so their SMS and MMS, their email communications. It would automatically upload their address book immediately upon, you know, uh, download. And all of this was being done and nobody was seeing that happening. You know, if you're looking at your phone, you don't see it happening because what people weren't doing was reading the permissible purposes, the privacy terms and conditions. And you guys, that's another thing that I always suggest besides seeing what the app is putting out there and their advertising, 
for their privacy terms and conditions is actually look at who the developer is and go look at their privacy terms and conditions of that application and see how much of that information is being leaked because it could be so aggressive. I mean, TikTok. I know TikTok is everybody's kind of favorite app at the moment, but it's a very aggressive app. And just in June of last year, it came out and you guys can Google this and you can look it up that they were being accused of biometrically grabbing people's face and their voice now. Now they kind of denied it, but if you go look in their terms and conditions now, their privacy terms and conditions, they've changed it. And they say, we may, which means they are. So it says that we may be collecting your biometric impressions now of your face and your voice. So think about all the information they have on your device. Now they have the biometric impression of your face, your voice, and your device information. That's a huge amount of data. So, you know, Rebecca's very right on this. We have to read those terms and conditions. We have to be very aware of what we're putting on our devices because the ability of locational information that a lot of these devices get from us or that a lot of the applications get from us is huge. And not only do they get it, you guys, what we have to understand too is a lot of these applications share their information with each other, right? they sell it. So they sell this information. And so now we have this huge, again, I guess if you want to call it the pipeline of data that's happening of our information, just because of things that you guys are putting on your phone. And, and people forget about that. A lot of times you just yeah. need yes or no. They have my yes or no right now. A lot of times you can get into banks and different things along those lines. And that's why banks have had to step up even how they're doing their voice recognition and how quickly you speak and pair it with other stuff to try and keep you protected along those lines. Oh, yeah. As we go ahead and we see more people are working at home hybrid, which I'm always recommending as well. I know you and I back and forth on this as well, too, because you're going to pick on my Alexa. It is what should people <laughs> think about from a business standpoint, individual, about if you do have Google Nest or you have Alexa or any of those other type voice recognitions. I know for me, and when I work, I always have social media policies in place and stuff like that. You know, those aren't in the same room. They're turned off and stuff like that. But what do you recommend people to do as an individual and as a business to protect you from a lot of these devices out there that are capturing, like you said, they're capturing your voice, you're capturing maybe even sensitive information of meetings that you have at work that you don't want that out there in no ways. Well, you know, I've talked about this to corporations for the past few years. What we have to do is, you know, they can divide, uh, define terms and tell their employees, you know, we don't want this particular application, if, especially if it's their own work device, right? If the, the corporation supplying the devices, they can control it pretty much on the internet side, right? The IT side. But let's look at their personal stuff because a lot of companies don't provide these devices. And one of the things that I always say is BYOB, bring your own device. Your BYODs, bring your own device is to me, it's a very scary aspect that any institution will allow that to happen. Because if I don't know what you have on your phone and think about this, you guys, we have microphones on our devices. And so we don't know, not only, you know, like the Alexa and, you know, I, I hate all of those smart devices. And that's me personally. Everybody can have their own opinion. But I don't like Alexa. I don't like Home Nest. I don't like any of those. And uh, but if we're bringing our cellular devices or our, our tablets or even our computers, we don't know if they were compromised. Right. And this comes kind of back into some of my military training that I was doing when we went to a particular military base. And I have to be very vague on the base. But when we walked in this particular va base 
all devices had to be in a separate building. It was a metal building. We had metal drawers. We put our devices in there and then we would go into a totally separate building. And that's where we would do our discussions. And that's where we would do our trainings. We kept those devices absolutely uh, separate. And so as a corporation, what was those devices, Rebecca, if you remember, it wasn't a device, it was a toy. Furby, was it Furbies that were repeating people? Remember, and that became a big thing. And some of the government agencies and offices were saying that people couldn't bring Furbies to work anymore. And so we have that ability, you know, of having a compromise that is coming out not only from maybe, you know, a useful device that we're utilizing in our work aspect, but also a stupid toy. So I always say anything with a microphone to me can be compromised. So that's what I, what I, you know, what my standard is. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, before we started here, you saw me, I turned off my phone and I put it away in, in, a, in a locked Faraday cage, basically, but I have yep. several boxes to put up along those lines because, you know, I like you, I just don't trust you Yeah, along those lines. But I, I see that a lot with businesses where they're not, they're not thinking about what are the other things in a person's home or a person, your personal area network pan that could be picking up sensitive information from, you know, what our, our company is doing. I was going to say government's doing, but government's been doing it a little longer. Oh, government's doing all kinds of things. Yeah. You know, we'll as, stay away from that conversation. Yeah. You and I both will. Uh, we both get in trouble for that one. But one of the things too, is we see, I, it's interesting when we see a lot of jobs are out there a lot of times and people are picking up the phony companies. I know you and I have talked about LinkedIn quite a bit. Can be, everything could be good. Everything could be evil as well, too. As we go ahead and we look at open source intelligence, I tell people to use that to actually pick up and see if that is a bona fide company, not bona fide company. Is that job posting probably real or not real? What kind of tips do you can you give to people out there who are looking for a new position? Um, be very careful. What, what seems on the surface could be okay. Could be not. And you see people yeah. throwing in, just giving them the resume. And you and I have talked about resumes before, giving them, just saying the resume blindly to people who even impersonate recruiters and they're not. They're really great yeah. in social engineering. So what can you tell people to watch out along those lines? Well, you know, LinkedIn is a big one. And there was a case that I had worked personally. I had got this um, invite from this girl and the background that she had for the age that she was and not saying there's not genius, you know, kids that are graduating at the age of 13 and creating and creating a career. But this girl looked like she was maybe 21, 22, 23 on her photograph. And, and again, you know, take it for a grain of salt, you know, because people do a lot, look a lot younger, but the background that she had just didn't jive with me on this LinkedIn request. So the very first thing I did is which I do with most things is I right clicked on the photograph, downloaded it and did an image recognition on it. And that particular photograph was being taken from a Russian uh, bride magazine, right? And an online system that you can go and order yourself a bride. So what I did is I went through and I looked at her verbiage that she was using and I started doing keyword searching. And I found, if I remember correctly, because this was a few years ago, I found 18 profiles with the exact LinkedIn, exact LinkedIn profile. The only thing that changed was the girl's photograph and the name, right? And so I started looking at it and I started looking at all the people that they were friending and who they were friending were FBI, military, secret service, anybody who was in a security type of positioning 
And that's all they were asking for. They weren't trying to, you know, friend anybody within marketing or anything like that. It was very specific. And at that time, I'm pretty sure I got hit because I've done training with the FBI. And so I started looking at this particular girl that looked at me and they had all of their, their contacts kind of closed down, but one account. And so out of the 18, I'm just going to say 18, 17 of them had closed off where you couldn't see their contacts, but one and whoever created that account must've slipped up. You could see their contacts. And that's where I saw it. And so when I finally started running all the companies that they were supposedly associated to, the companies were all fake. And, but they ended up going back to this one person that I found probably four years previous to these LinkedIn accounts. And the reason I found it was because of an email address that one of the girls had put out because there was communications by running their name, just some Google dorking, right? That I found a phone number or email. I can't remember which one it was, you guys. And, but I ended up reversing that and it took me to a guy. And that guy was an individual that is in a different country. And again, I have to be careful because I turned this all over to, to an agency and it was data collection. And it was data collection on the individuals within offices and not only offices of obviously law enforcement, but military. And it was a huge data collection. It was getting people's names. It was getting their phone numbers. I mean, they were reaching out and, you know, they were asking people for their internal phone numbers. Hey, I'd really like to talk to you in referencing to something that happened, you know, because I reached out to a few people said, hey, have you spoken to these guys? And they had. So think about this. We had people in very major positions that were talking to these fake girls. None of these people existed. And it was a data collection. It was an intelligence mission is really what it was. So I always tell everybody, if somebody contacts you and they're trying to friend you on a social media platform, they're trying to friend you on LinkedIn or any other, you know, Slack or Discord or anything, you know, that you're doing and you're communicating through, be very careful with who you're speaking with. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I, I said people can follow me on LinkedIn, but I don't connect with everybody. And then I try to figure out yeah. before. There are people like you and I that we, we speak together and stuff like that. Yes, but people have to watch out for that. And I, I probably still get like 10 or 15 invites a day on people like going, I don't know you anywhere in the world. So no, and I tell people on LinkedIn, report them. Uh, report those yeah. profiles and stuff like that. Some people call them out really in even comments and stuff like that, let people know, but let LinkedIn know immediately so they can go ahead and take them down or any platform that you're on. Oh yeah. I just did two of them yesterday. I had two requests on LinkedIn and I scraped, they're actually on my desktop and I reverse engineered it. And um, sure enough, total fake, absolutely do not exist. And it's just, again, they were looking at everything was from military and law enforcement. And I tell you, really watch out for, People who reach out, recruiters and stuff like that, because they're not watching uh, Sales Navigator that much. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I think this job could be great for you. And you don't recognize their name or company or or anything like that. Make sure you really do that. Two, from company standpoint, just because we're talking about company standpoint, you need to have someone watching your social media and seeing if other people are out there posting jobs, saying that they're your company when they're not. Carefully, you watch out for that, too. That actually happened to me. I got contacted by a couple people. This was in the middle of last year. And they said that they were contacting me in referencing to me contacting them to do investigations for them. And I was like, I never contacted you. I don't advertise. I'm in a very unique position where I don't ever have to advertise. And some guy was contacting people. I probably had three different people call me within a couple of weeks. And uh, somebody was trying to get 
private investigations work. I'm not even quite sure what he was trying to get to tell you the truth, but he was using four different VoIP numbers. And the fourth VoIP number was so active because it was so fast after somebody contacted me because they felt really weird about the conversation that I called him and he answered his phone. And I just went into a whole thing about how I was, you know, going to be reverse engineering him. And uh, he went away. I never heard anything from anybody again. So not the smartest thing to go ahead and go after somebody who really teaches at Quantico. <laughs> I'm just saying. God bless him. God bless him. Well, Michelle, our, our time is running short. I want to make sure that people know about your company, how they can go ahead and engage you. I know you do, you know, more federal work than you do private sector, but you still do private sector. And, and how I, do. Can, I can get a hold of you to, to take training when it is available through ISSA or SACA or someone along those lines and how they can go ahead and get to you speak. How do, how do they find you? Easy, guys. It's Michelle with a one L. I always say Michelle with one L because everybody spells my name wrong. So it's Michelle at jaginvestigations.com. So jag, J-A-G, investigations.com. Easiest way to get a hold of me. And uh, my, I'll give you my business number, my cell phone number I usually give to my training. So that's why I know everybody who's in my classroom. Um, not hard to find, obviously, if you do open source, but 480-988-2580. And I'm doing a lot more private trainings now in the sense of, you know, outside of our military and outside of law enforcement. So I do a lot of corporational training. So if we're looking at threat assessment, if we're looking at, uh, this is a big one right now, if you have an asset that's going to be moving, so you have a CEO that's going to be moving maybe from his house or even traveling, I'll do big backgrounds to see what is out there, what people can notice on their homes, their people closest to them, meaning family members or that person. So, but yeah, just reach out to me, you guys. It's, I've been doing this 30 years. Believe me, I can, I can pretty much train what you need. And I don't see personally, Michelle and I've worked on some cases together cross border well too. And she really knows her stuff and she really is connected very well that if she needs to go and hand it off to someone who's to do other federal investigations in other countries can hook you up that way as well too. Michelle, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And you know, you are a soulful CXO. (laughs) Thank you everyone. I hope you enjoy. 